Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. How to be free from me. How, how many of you... How many of you, you're your biggest obstacle? Any, anybody admit to that? I'm my biggest obstacle. And we're talking about overcoming insecurity. You know, a lot of times we're faced with opportunities to feel insecure. Maybe we're, we don't feel fully confident in certain situations, or maybe we, we have self-doubt, or, or, or we don't feel like, uh, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with something that's beyond us. And I want to show you a great example of somebody who is walking through a very insecure time in his life. And it's a guy by the name of Joshua. Ever heard of this guy? He's in the Bible, I promise. Let's look in his, in his book, uh, uh, written on his, in his name, the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, let me put you in context here. Moses has been leading the children of Israel now for the, for the last 40 years. Joshua has been his assistant at his side, and he's been there along every step of the way, but now Moses is no longer living. And they are right on the border of the promised land. And there's a whole lot of things ahead of them that are pretty intimidating. There's giants in the land. There's enemies in the land. And so Joshua is kind of, in, in some ways, frozen into a, a state of, of, what do I do now? All right? You know, a lot of times in our lives, we're faced with, you know, life-altering situations. Maybe there's a death of a spouse. Maybe there is the loss of a job. Maybe there's some other life event that comes along that some doctor calls up and tells some bad news uh, uh, over the phone or sits across the desk and tells you that across the desk. And many times we find ourselves in situ, or maybe it's, it's just a job assignment. We get a promotion at work. The Lord uh, makes it clear to us he wants us to do something that seems beyond ourselves and our ability to do. And, and if we're not cautious, we can find ourselves feeling insecure in a situation like that. And this is where Joshua was. He's now responsible for all of Israel, two or three million people that he's got oversight of and, and needs to lead. And he's feeling a little bit intimidated by that. So here's what God has to say to Joshua in that time. Check it out. Here's his first statement. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, that seems pretty obvious. You'd think Joshua was aware of that. You know, they've kind of gone through this whole thing where, where Moses is dead. But God's actually trying to get Joshua's attention. He's saying, listen, you've got to come to grips with the reality of where you are right now. Right? You can't just sit there and ignore this and it's going to go away. The reality that you're faced with, Joshua, is Moses is dead. So get up. Now, therefore, arise. And look what he says. He says, go over this Jordan, 
you and all the people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Look at the next verse. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So he's saying, look, all this territory, this is for these people. And look at what he says, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Don't you think that was a good confidence boost for Joshua? But look at what he says. Yes, good news. Look at what he says, though. He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. In verse 6, be strong and of good courage. What? you got to hit him again. Be strong. Back up. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Okay, now we can go. <laughs> Only be strong and very courageous. Look, he repeats himself. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And look in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And see, God is encouraging and he is challenging and he's stirring Joshua up. And three different times he says, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Why do you think he was telling them that? Because he wasn't feeling strong or courageous at the moment. He's just sitting there and God's saying, listen, it's time to get up, Joshua. It's time to get after this assignment that you've been given. It's time to understand you're not in this alone. I am with you. And just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And no one's going to be able to stand against you. But you, Joshua, have got to be strong. You've got to be courageous. You've got to get up and you've got to move forward. And it's so important for all of us to understand that in life. Whatever the thing is that's before us, when God is behind it, he is going to get us through it, and we simply have to do our part and not allow insecurity to hold us back. We've got to get ourselves out of the way so that we can move forward in advance. You know, when I was in junior high, when I was a kid, um, you know, I, I was a pretty insecure kid in a lot of different ways growing up. One of the things I hated, I dreaded as much as anything in the world was, was what I'm doing right now, public speaking. Standing in front of people, talking, oh my gosh, it intimidated me so much. But one of the other areas that was a great place of insecurity for me as a kid was the bus ride home in seventh grade. And I got to tell you why this was a problem. Now, I grew up at my junior high, senior high years, we lived in a small town over in North Carolina. And I don't want to tell you that the School system administration maybe lacked a little bit of wisdom or discretion. But to give you an idea of some of the decision-making that they had, the favorite field trip that they had every year for the junior high kids, every seventh grader, we looked forward to this. It was so much fun. We'd pile in the school buses, and we'd go to the R.J. Reynolds tobacco warehouse or factory <laughs> and learn how to make cigarettes. <laughs> and we'd do the big tour. 
of the R.J. Reynolds factory. We watch them making cigarettes. We get all excited. And then at the end of the tour, every single year, and this is not a joke, at the end of the tour, to all these bright-eyed, excited 13-year-old kids, they would give a souvenir ashtray <laughs> to each of the kids to take home with them. And so this is the kind of field trips that we went on, all right? And I think the same person that scheduled the field trips was the same person that coordinated all the bus drivers for all the school buses because the bus drivers for our school buses were the high school students. There were no adult bus drivers in our county. They were all the high school students. So on my bus, there was a junior, a 16-year-old junior in high school that drove our bus at the end of the school day every day. Now, to make matters even worse, not only did they drive the junior high students home, but they packed all the junior high students and the senior high students together on the same buses to take them home at the end of the day. All right? So as you can imagine, there was no law and order whatsoever on the school buses going home. And so every day I'd have to climb on this school bus. And you talk about intimidating. The thing that struck fear into my heart and the heart of every other person on that bus came in one word, and that word was toogie, all right? Now, you don't know what a toogie is, but I'm going to tell you what a toogie is. Toogie was the bus bully. Toogie was a high school student. Imagine 350 pounds of mean, nasty bully that ruled the bus with an iron fist, all right? This is toogie. And the scariest thing about Toogie was, Toogie was an equal opportunity uh, beater-upper, all right? <laughs> Toogie didn't care who got beat up on the bus. Toogie would beat anybody up for a quarter. A quarter. 25 cents was the price of a, of a man's life on that bus. And so if you were mad at somebody, if you had something against somebody on the bus, all you had to do was slip Toogie a quarter and that person would get beat up that day. So every day we get on the bus, we little uh, uh, tiny seventh graders get on the bus and kind of cower in our seats and we would pray, we would beg God that no one would pay Toogie a quarter to beat us up today. So that was the life that we lived and the intimidation that we lived under. We felt pretty insecure in that environment and in that setting. Now, one day, I made the dumbest mistake of my life on that bus. And, and to this day, I, I still don't know why I did it. It was like the spirit of stupid came over me. But Toogie, the good news about Toogie was Toogie's bus stop was before mine. And so as long as I could survive until Toogie's bus stop, then Toogie would get off the bus, and then the next few minutes at least, you know, I could breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. So Toogie got off the bus one day, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I, 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 I leaned out the window of the bus, and I yelled at Toogie, out beside the bus, I said, hey, Toogie, there's a quarter on the ground. You know, because Toogie was all about quarters. Toogie wanted, you know, was a moneymaker. And so I said, there's a quarter on the ground. I'm telling you, Toogie got so excited. She dropped to her knees right there. <laughs> Did I not mention it was a girl? Toogie was a girl. Toogie dropped to her knees, I mean, right there on the ground by the side of the bus and starts looking around for this quarter. And I realized when this happened, I realized, oh my gosh, what have I done? And so Toogie looks and realizes there is no quarter on the ground. Somebody has just lied to me about a quarter and that doesn't go over well with Toogie. And I'm telling you to this day, I, 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 can, I can wake up in a cold sweat 
and even now I'm sweating right now. Think I'm, I'm picturing this in my in my mind right now. Tugi on her hands and knees, looking up at me in that window on the bus, pointing her finger at me, and saying, "I'm going to kill you tomorrow." Can you imagine? You talk about insecure. Those next 24 hours were the longest 24 hours of my life. And yet I still had to get on the bus the next day. So I got on the bus. I had given away most of my possessions. I had <laughs> written my last will and testimony. I had done a lot of things that day. And so I climbed on the bus, and I'm, you know, kind of walking down like, like a, 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 you know, a, a, a convicted criminal heading to their sentencing, you know, on death row. And I discovered some of the most beautiful, beautiful news in the world. The only thing that was smaller than Tugi's uh, IQ was Tugi's attention span. And so somewhere from the day before to the next day, she completely forgot about what I had done. And thankfully, no one else saw me do it. And so I survived Tugi Gate that week and lived to, to ride the bus another day. But that was the condition I found myself under when I was in junior high. Now, most of us don't live in such a physically intimidating environment or situation. Some do. But I'm not really talking about that. I'm more talking about um, in our lives, many times we're faced with things that, 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 that we feel insecure about. And here's a couple of life points I want to share with you because these are some things that, that helped me as I discovered these things. I discovered that any time... I was insecure or that I was embarrassed, it was because I was the center of my attention. And look at this next life point. Once I learned to get my attention off of me and onto others, it's amazing how that insecurity melted away. You know, when our eyes are on ourselves, man, we see a whole lot we don't like. But when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we look at others and we focus on other people and how we can help and be a blessing to them, it's amazing what a difference that can make. Now, not everybody struggles with insecurity like this guy. He didn't struggle with any insecurity when it came to free samples. Hi, welcome. Would you like a sample? Yes, absolutely. Great. Enjoy. Have a great day. Hi, welcome. Would you like a sample? Oh, yes, please. Oh, I love these. Can, can I have another one? Uh, no, no. One per customer. Okay, next. Have a great day. Hi, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Would you like a sample? Are you giving away cookies? Yes, we are. One per customer. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Can I take a couple to my friends in the math club? No, no. Just one per customer. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. <laughs> Oh, bra! Are those cookies for samples? Have I seen you before? Oh, uh, no, dude. <laughs> I just got one of those faces. Mm, yeah. Okay. Can I get one? Sure. Thanks. Uh, can I take one to my bro? He's down there by the van. <laughs> no, just one per customer. All right, man. You're crushing my mellow pretty harsh there. Enjoy. Have a great day. Ahoy, me hearty. Might I try a sample of your wares? Thank you, lass. Little help here. Uh, thank you, lass. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Howdy, ma'am. Might, might I try a sample of your vittles there? I can't believe you. 
How many have you had today? Uh, I'd like to try the first one, please. Fine. I promise I wouldn't lie to you. It's cowboy code not to lie or take too many samples. <laughs> All right. Nothing insecure about Garcia. Here's the lesson learned with that video. Don't let Garcia near your food. All right? That's the thing. Now, I want to talk to you about five different things, five different ways that we can be free from me. All right? Or you can be free from you. You don't have to be free from me. You can be free from you. Check it out. Here's number one. God esteem is better than self-esteem. You know, there's a lot of talk about self-esteem, and, and, you know, we want people to feel good about themselves. But, you know, self-esteem only goes so far. Check out this nugget. Eventually. I'm feeling low self-esteem about my nugget right now. All right, here we go. When I pursue self-esteem, I'm limited to how I feel about myself, right? I mean, self-esteem is simply that. But when I embrace God-esteem, it's expanded to how God feels and what he has to say about me, all right? And let's take a look at a couple of verses together over in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I want to give you a, a picture of Jesus. Now, Jesus, he's, he's going through his baptism. And look what it says, verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, there's two things that came to Jesus that day. Verse 16 is when the power came on Jesus, right? The power of God hit him in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. But listen, verse 17 is where the confidence comes to Jesus. When he hears from his father, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. See, because what God had to say about him and how God saw him and how God viewed him was so much more important about how he felt about himself. Let, let me share with you five, five essentials about uh, um, God esteem. Check this out. Number one, these are, these are just facts. These are things you can't change. Number one, God loves me always. God loves me always. Jeremiah 31.3 says he loves us with an everlasting love. Romans 8, 38 and 39, no one can separate you from the love of God. Look at number two. I have purpose. I have purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, the thoughts that God has for me are for good, not for evil, to give me a future and a hope. And look at number three. Only I can fulfill my unique purpose. Ephesians 2, 10 says that. I'm, 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 I'm creatively made by the Lord. I'm his workmanship. And I'm created for good works that he's prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. So not only does God love me, and I can't do anything about that, but I have purpose. Only I can fulfill that unique purpose. Look at number four. Jesus died just for me. John 3.16 makes that very, very plain and clear. And then verse number five, rather. Jesus wants to spend eternity with me. If you go in John 17.24, he's praying for all of his disciples and us after him. And that's the very thing that he's sharing. That he wants them with us where he is. So those are facts. Those are things you can't change. All right? That is God's esteem towards you. He loves you. No matter what you do, you can't change that. He has a plan for you. No matter what you do, you can't change the fact that he has a plan for you. Only you can fulfill that unique plan, and no matter what you do, you can't change that fact. Now, we can certainly affect whether we go and actively fulfill the plan, but the fact behind the scenes is the plan is there for us to walk in, right? 
He died for us, and he wants us with us. And when we understand those things and when we focus on those things, and we understand they're not dependent on me, but they're dependent on the Lord, then we get a better picture and a better image of, of, of God esteem rather than self-esteem. The second thing that we need to understand, the second thing that will help me get free from me is I need to understand that I don't need to impress God. Anybody ever try to impress God? When, when I was in, in college, I, I was really excited for the Lord, and I was, I was growing quite a bit, and, and, and I was in a time where I was trying to, to, to get a little direction from the Lord in something. But, I mean, I, was, I, was, I, was, I really wanted to, to impress God with my spirituality. That wasn't what I was thinking, but it was what I was doing because I decided to embark on this great uh, uh, um, prayer vigil and word vigil out into the woods, out into the wilderness. You know, Jesus went out in the wilderness with God, so I'm going to go out in the wilderness with God. So I packed up my backpack and I put on my hiking boots, and, and I wanted to make this real good. So I wasn't just going to go out in the wilderness with God. I, I, I was going to fast for two or three days when I was out in the wilderness with God. Not only that, I was going to leave my watch behind to where I didn't, you know, time is not of, of consequence when you're with the Lord and in his presence. And so time was not a factor. Food was not a factor. Personal comfort was not a factor. I was going out with this great venture with God, to, he, to go up on the mountain to hear from God. You know, Jesus went up on the mountain and heard from God. So I was heading up on the mountain to hear from God. So I went out all by myself, all alone, hiked out into the wilderness, pitched my little tent, and I was already hungry when I got there. But I pitched my tent, and I'm ready to have this great time with the Lord. And it started raining, and it kept raining nonstop for two days when I was out there. And so I was working hard to keep a, a fire going, you know, in the midst of all the rain. And, uh, you know, there's something that's amazing. Sometimes, you ever notice, you know, if, if you're real busy and you got a lot going on and maybe it's a real active day, you're really actively involved in something at work, you can go a few hours and then realize, you know what, I hadn't eaten lunch. But if you're sitting there by yourself, just praying just trying to read your Bible and keep it from getting soaked and trying to keep a fire going and wondering when this day is ever going to end, you're hungry the whole time. And you can't think about anything else but that hunger. And so I went through this dreadful day. And I'm telling you, you remember when, when uh, uh, um, back in the Old Testament when God extended the day but for 24 hours so they could win the battle? You remember that? He did that on this mountaintop. I sat there, that day would never end. It just went on and on and on and on. And because it was so overcast, I, I could, there was no sunlight that would tell me where the sun was at that particular point in the day. So I didn't know if it was 10 o'clock in the morning or if it was 3 in the afternoon. And that day never ended. And so finally, I made it through that day. It was the second day, and I went to bed that night, and I was going to be leaving the next day. And I couldn't sleep at all because I was very uncomfortable and very hungry and very tired and honestly, very frustrated because I'd gone up there to have this great encounter with God. And where's God in all this? I'm just in a state of personal misery. And so I got up in the middle of the night and packed up all my stuff and loaded up my backpack and headed out about five in the morning, you know, in the, in the, in the dark to back down the hill. And I jumped in my car and drove back into town. And I came to this little, little diner that was open uh, early in the morning. And I sat down at the, at the counter and I ordered one of everything. 
I mean, I was starving. So I'm sitting there, and I'm stuffing my face with all this food. And, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm kind of mad at God. And I'm just kind of having this internal conversation with the Lord. It's like, you know, and I'm grumbling, and I'm whining, and I'm complaining, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And I'm telling you, the Lord spoke to my heart, spoke to my spirit as clear as just about anything he'd ever spoken to me up to that point. And here's what he said. Where you been? Where you been? And my response is, what do you mean where have I been? I've been up on the mountain. Where you been? And so, you know, and I'm having this internal conversation with him. And, and, and the Lord just so kindly and so gently and so lovingly and so patiently helped me see and understand, why are you running off into the woods trying to impress me? I'm not off in the woods. I'm not up on the hill. I'm right here where I've always been. And you don't have to impress me. See, God's not impressed with what we do. We, we really can't do anything to impress him. I mean, you're going to top what Jesus did? Can't do it. So there's nothing you can do that'll impress him, all right? But what God is impressed with is what he's made. God's impressed with who he's made. God's impressed with you because he created you in a very, very special way. So you don't have to impress God, all right? He's already impressed with you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you no matter what you do. And you can't make him love you anymore, and you can't impress him anymore. You know, over in Acts chapter 5, we won't take time to turn there, but Acts 5, verse 40 and 41, you'll find the disciples, they've just been imprisoned for uh, sharing the gospel. And then all the, you know, all the Pharisees, they, they get on them and they yell at them and they beat them and they tell them don't, t- don't share the gospel anymore, and then they send them on their way. Well, you know, most people would be, would be looking at God and say, God, look at me, look what I did for you. But if you take a look at that second verse in that passage, you'll see the disciples, as they were walking away, they were honored and and they were so thankful that God counted them worthy to suffer for his sake. See, they weren't thinking about themselves and they weren't thinking about impressing God. They were just delighted and thrilled to be in on what God was doing. And that's what we should do, guys. And that'll take the insecurity right out of the mix. Here's the third thing that we need to do. Third way to be free. I don't need to impress you. Right? And you don't need to impress me. So much of our society is built around trying to impress each other. You know, what are my credentials? Here's my resume. Here's why you should think I'm awesome. And yet, what you think about me really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things, in the big picture of things. All right? Here's a good example of someone who's trying to impress people. Hey, man. Hey, hey, you like cows, don't you? You like the C-O-Ws, don't you? You like the cows? No, why? Because you're checking out these calves. Bam! What's up, man? Hey, the zoo call you today? No. Why? They called me. They said they wanted these pythons back, son. You gotta help me. Why? I need some band-aids, man. I need some band-aids. How come? Because I'm all cut up.
Hey, hey, hey. Did you hear I got kicked out of school today? Why? Because I was carrying around this six pack and a couple of guns, son. <laughs> all right, so years ago, I was doing a wedding, all right? And, I, and I'm doing this wedding, and there's, there's a very, very old lady that was there at this wedding who was one of the guests, one of the family members of the guests. And uh, she came up to me after the wedding, and she just loved it. She loved what I had to say. She loved what I shared with the wedding. And, and uh, um, she was impressed for whatever reason about the wedding. So she comes up to me, and she goes, young man, she says, what church do you pastor? And I said, well, I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm one of the pastors at, at Joy Church, one of the associate pastors, but I'm not the senior pastor there at the church. She looked at me. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, ma'am, why are you sorry? She goes, maybe one day you'll have your own church. And she, the only thing missing was her patting me on the head. And, and it's so sad because I'm, and then I try to explain to her, but ma'am, I, I don't feel called to be the senior pastor of the church. I, you know, I, I know my role, my assignment, but she just was, felt so sorry for me because I didn't have my own church. But see, that's what our society breeds, right? That's what our schools breed. That's what our, uh, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with competition. Competition is a beautiful thing. But when it comes to life, and when it comes to our God assignments and what God has for us to do, we all are given different assignments in the Lord. And so if everything's a competition, then if I'm not the CEO or if I'm not the president or if I'm not the whatever in whatever organization I'm in or you're in, then somebody's going to look at that and measure that and go, well, you know what? You haven't made it to success, whatever success is. But see, God doesn't look at, that way, at, at it that way at all. And see, it's not about impressing each other. Colossians 3, look at Colossians 3 real quick. Or slowly. Okay, Colossians 3. Look at verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily to impress your neighbors and your friends, right? No, it says do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. See, we're doing the things that we do for the Lord, not for our neighbors, not for our boss. Now, don't misunderstand me. We should work hard for our boss because we are accountable to him in the context of our job, all right? But ultimately, if we'll work as working unto the Lord, then whether you have a great boss or an awful boss, whether you're in a great setting or an awful setting, you will still do your very best because you're working as working unto the Lord and you're not trying to impress somebody else. And when we do it that way, then I'm not having to impress you. I'm not having to impress God. And then here's number four on our list. I don't have to impress me. I don't need to impress me. You know, so many times people do what they do to try to feel better about themselves. Right? You ever notice that? You know, they, they work real hard. They, they, you know, they think, if only I will make a lot of money or if I'll get to this particular job or if I get this promotion or if I can make somebody like me or whatever, then they can feel good about themselves. And so you don't have to impress yourself. And the more that we walk down the path and do the things that we do here at the church, the more success we see in the ministry and, and in what we're doing here, the more I realize uh, how unimpressed I am with me and how very impressed I am with the Lord because the Lord is the one who calls us to do the things that he calls us to do. 
Let me give you five things that I can't take credit for and you can't take credit for. Check these out. Number one, my, they're all in little quotes, my faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that we're saved by grace through faith, but it goes on to say that that faith isn't of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Faith is a gift from God to us, and we can't take credit for it. Number two, my love. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That takes place when you become a born-again Christian. God's love is poured into your heart. You can't take credit for that. You're simply loving with the love that God's given you. Verse or Number three, my righteousness. And listen, that's a big one. But see, Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who made you righteous and put you in right standing with God. Number four, I can't take credit for my abilities. 1 Timothy 1.12 says that, that, that God's counted him faithful, making him able, putting him into ministry. That ability came from God. Right? 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone ministers, let him minister with the ability that God supplies. And so your gifts, your talents, your skills, your abilities, you can't take credit for those. Look at number five. My quote-unquote ministry. 2 Corinthians 5. Well, I'm not in the ministry. Sure you are. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19 says that we've been all made uh, uh, ministers of reconciliation and that God has given us the word of reconciliation. He's made us ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we represent the Lord Jesus in our day-to-day -day walk and in our work and in our jobs and in our families and in our neighborhoods. But see, none of these things we can take credit for. God gave it all to us, all right? And God gave it to us for a reason that's bigger than us, all right? And for a reason that goes beyond us. And that's what gets us to number five on our list. I am not here for me. These are things to help us get free from me. These are things to help us overcome insecurity. Guys, we're not in this for ourselves. You know, Pastor Jim shares this on a frequent basis. Other than one minor exception, the entire world consists of somebody other than me. Right? And so if all of my attention and all my focus and all my purpose is on me, I got a pretty narrow crowd to work with. But if my attention and my focus is on others, then I can impact and I can change people in a big, big way. Anybody ever heard of uh, Joseph? Yeah, read your Bible. Anybody ever read your Bible? Anybody ever heard of Esther? Right, from the Bible. Think about Joseph. Man, if there was anybody that could think pretty highly of himself, that would have been Joseph. I mean, look at this guy. Here, you talk about a success. Here's a guy, you know, he's in his father's house. You know, the Lord gives him this great vision and dream that, that he's going to excel beyond his brother's. His brothers didn't like it. He made the mistake of telling his brothers. And his brothers sold him off into slavery. You remember that? And so here's Joseph. He's in Potiphar's house as a slave in the house. But because he was so faithful and because he was so capable and because he excelled at everything he put his hand to, it wasn't much time before all of a sudden Potiphar had turned over his entire household to him. It says that Potiphar didn't even pay attention to anything that went on in his house because Joseph led his house so well and his house flourished. But then Potiphar's wife comes along. Remember that? She falsely accused him. And where does he end up? He ends up in prison. But he's only there for a short while in prison, and now he's running to prison. The jailer turns everything, all responsibilities over to Joseph, one of the prisoners who's now running and conducting that prison with great success and great uh, uh, um, excellence. 
And then what happens? Of course, he interprets the dreams uh, for a couple of Pharaoh's servants, and then boom, just overnight, he's raised up and he's seated right at the right hand of Pharaoh, leading all of Egypt. I mean, the guy's running the country. And he's not just running it, he's running it with tremendous success. And you can look at Joseph and go, man, what a guy Joseph is. Man, what a great guy he is. And, and he was a great guy, and he was faithful in what he had been called to do. But what he had been called to do wasn't about Joseph. What he had been called to do was about something way bigger than just Joseph. Joseph's job, guys, if you go back and study it out and read it out, his job was to keep the Israelites alive through the great famine that came and hit the land. And if it hadn't been for Joseph, they would have all died there in the wilderness. But yet Joseph, because of his wisdom and because of the leadership of the Lord and because of the calling God had placed on his life, Joseph was faithful to it. But Joseph wasn't there for Joseph. Joseph was there for the children of Israel. What about Esther? You know the story of Esther. Esther, you know, she's in the, the great beauty pageant to running for the, the, the queen of, of, of Babylon. And what happened? She won. She was the fairest one in the land. Beautiful woman, great tact, great character, wonderful woman of God. And she became the queen. Now, you could look at Esther and go, wow, what a, what a girl she was. What a success she was. What a pretty woman she was. But see, none of that beauty... None of that success, none of that accomplishment was for Esther. And her own cousin Mordecai tells her that very clearly. He says, listen, whether you step up and take your place or someone else does, deliverance is going to come for the, for the Jews. But you're here for just such a time as this. And Esther stepped in, and what for? For the very same reason Joseph was there, to save the people, the Jewish people in that day and that age, which were under great attack. And so their calling, their assignment was bigger than themselves. What God had put in them was bigger than themselves. And guys, what God has put in you is bigger than yourself. All right? God has called you to do some very, very special things. Look at this. Look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Check this out. Verse 19. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you know what? I'm free from you. And because I'm free from you, I can freely serve you. Because I don't have to impress you, I don't have to try to impress you. And I can come and do what will help you. And guys, if we will recognize that we need to have God esteem and not self-esteem, if we'll recognize we don't have to impress God, God's already impressed with us because he made us. We don't have to impress each other. We don't have to impress ourselves. And if we understand we're, we're, about, we're about something bigger than just ourselves, then what will happen? We'll get our eyes off of ourselves. We'll get our eyes on other people. And then we're free. We're free to serve. We're free to serve at home, our families, our wives, our kids. We're free to serve at work, our bosses, our companies, where we work. We're free to serve in church. And touch and bless and impact this community in a huge, huge way. And so the big key here, though, guys, for all of us is let's get us out of the way. Let's get me out of the way. And let's overcome this insecurity and get our eyes on the right things and look at ourselves the way God sees us. And that's how we'll walk in the victory.